Welcome to episode 51. 51. Of Moped Outlaws. Yes, sir. Where you can take a ride on the wild side. Well, maybe it's the mild side. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. We're on shrooms, so we could be on scooters. Although there was a kid going to school yesterday morning on an electric scooter. And he whipped through downtown Mill Valley, like that intersection where all these streets come together, the roundabout thing. It was like 20 miles an hour, bam, right through the stop sign. Yeah, it might be bam, ex-kid if he does not careful. You know what? I thought about that. And my next thought was, shut up, old man. If you were doing that, you'd be having a blast. It was probably fun. Dangerous, living on the edge, fun. I'm sure it was fun. I got to ask you, though, you gave the impression that we're on mushrooms. I haven't touched mushrooms for 40 years, so what it's kind been of a mushrooms? long time. Like even in just regular food? Well, I put mushrooms like lion's mane in my shake every day. All right. But I think see, the mushrooms, so you you're touched mushrooms. Well, I guess you're right. I am on mushrooms then. All right. See? Right? Mushrooms help me. Yep. 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 They can work for you, too. Just be careful, kids. <laughs> Don't pick your own. Have you heard that Eminem song? It was like from the late nineties. Any, um, you know, the teacher from South Park? No, he he was part of the song. It was funny. Like, I, I'm not even going to try to do it. But it, there's a little bit about mushrooms and squirrel nuts, and it's it was it's a crazy fun song. It's good. Wow. Well, I would imagine M&M's taken psilocybin before, don't you think? Wait, what? What was the question? Do you think M&M has taken psilocybin before? I have no idea. I don't know the man. And I haven't heard him talk about it on any interviews. So Yeah, probably not. Huh? It's not really. I don't Detroit. know. I don't know. He was, you know, a Detroit kid in the fucking ghetto. So I don't know. Is that are mushrooms kind of a part of that scene? I don't. Know. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. So we had a good episode with Bridge. I thought. Yeah, that was fun. She's she's a very dynamic human being. I'm really grateful for the work she's doing, and I, I'm really intrigued to see how your experience with her turns out, and how the show, how Moped Outlaws, changes. <laughs> yep. Get used to it. This is the end of an era and the beginning of a new era in hey, seven I, weeks. I time. made up a joke yesterday. Yeah. Just one. Yeah. Okay. So what do, what do <laughs> women in Marin County in their late thirties and forties and underwear have in common? What do women in Marin County in their late 30s and 40s and underwear have in common? Well, 
I'm I've got some thoughts, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. They're both referred to as tidy whities. Wow. That wasn't the underwear I was picturing. I think you need to modify that with men's underwear. Because <laughs> the thing I was about to say is the thing they have in common is what the, you know, the thing that the underwear is probably covering up. Vaginas. That, yeah, exactly. Vaginas. My favorite thing. Yonis, as we like to say in Marin. What? Yonis. Yonis. Yoni. Yoni. Oh, Yoni. Yeah. Wet Yoni. Wasn't there a great singer once named uh, Yoni Mitchell? No, wait. No, that's there was Yoni. Yoni played um, that clarinet that looks like a... No, the saxophone that looks the like soprano a soprano saxophone. Yeah. Right, right. Yanni. Yeah. And it, I eventually began to spell his name Y A W N I. Yanni. Yeah. Yeah. Bridge is a kick. She's funny and, and very particular. She, I, I need to correct something because she didn't correct it on the air, but uh, many episodes ago, one of the ones she listened to where we talked about the Egyptian cycles of the stars, I quoted it as 16,000 and it's actually 26,000 years, not 16,000 years. So she, yeah, she corrected uh, it. You guys talked but not about on the that. air. We weren't talking about it on the air. The, that was in the end. Oh, episode. really? You sure? Yeah. yeah. I made a mental uh, note Marie's. to be sure and include it. If not, I'm a dumbbell redundancy that said twice. So can't hurt. You're a double redundancy said twice? A double redundancy that we said thrice. With rice? Oh, Lord. Here we go. And they're <laughs> off. Like a moped out of hell. Yes, sir. <laughs> so for some weird reason, itchy tan. What is an itchy tan like when it starts peeling? Itchy tan... What is this? Like some weird STD. Ichitan Mikoda. Yeah. Ichitan Mikoda. Um, Ichitan Mikoda. That's my Jedi name. Wants to talk about Obi-Wan Mikoda. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the new series on Disney+. Oh, is that what it is? It's a new series coming out? So let's just say right now, if you are a Star Wars fan and you haven't seen Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one, two, and three yet, you need to turn off the podcast now because I don't want you to get spoiled. By All right, so this is spoiler about. alert. Spoiler yeah. alert. This spoiler is on alert. Disney Plus. Disney Plus. It's the long-awaited show, which bridges the time between when Obi-Wan Kenobi, it, um, you know, basically leaves Anakin Skywalker to die on the Vol- the Vulcan planet. The, yeah, because um, fuck Anakin. He was an angry little bitch. Right, and then. The New Hope, which is the original Star Wars that we saw in 1977, where Luke and Leia and Darth Vader do their thing. So there's this whole 18 to 20 year time period between those two events that there isn't much done yet. So this takes place smack in the middle of that 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. And we find Obi-Wan is on Tatooine working um, and living a very meager life, living in a sand cave. And kind of keeping an eye out on Luke, who's now like a 10-year-old boy. Um, but Leia's on a completely different planet. Leia's on Alderaan. She with, sure uh, was, man. The she was on drugs and alcohol and all sorts of things. No, no, of no. Chaos. That's Carrie Fisher. You're mistaking Carrie Fisher with Aren't Leia. they one in the same? 
No, because the new girl, oh, I should know her, the actress's name, but there's a young girl who plays. Queen Amadiddle. That's not her. That's you. You're Queen Amadiddle. All right. That's because I'm diddling my yoni. Right? I, yeah. Um, Which has nothing to do with Star Wars. <laughs> well, it could, depending on. You know, on they probably did diddle. It. Is masturbation <laughs> talked about in the Star Wars stories? Probably not. Hmm. Interesting. Probably not. Um, Masturbation it, doesn't really enter children's stories much, does it? Well, that's it. It's like a the whole Star Wars saga is supposedly designed for children to have a kind of fable. And what George has said in the past about it is that fables are like moral dilemmas that are played out so that kids can get a sense of how to orient towards right and wrong, towards good and evil. And the, part of the thing about Star Wars is that it's – done like an old serial it's not done like a highly sophisticated like a drama like, frosted like, flakes that's pretty old that was around in like the 50s well uh, i mean serial spelled s-e-r-i-a-l N- not oh C-E-R-I-A-L. not s not to not something uh, you eat with milk but not a breakfast <laughs> well i've had star wars for breakfast <laughs> on many occasions it's quite tasty is there a star wars cereal there's been a bunch of them really yeah, you make them post Kellogg's. Well, Kellogg's mostly po- has been the the main person, the, the main group that's done them. But there were some in the early days, in the, early, the late seventies, and then there were some in the nineties as well. Huh. Yeah. All right. And there's been biscuits in places like the UK and and Europe and things and cookies. Um. So. All right. So coming real. back to George and his fable and his story. Well, the idea was real. to give kids something to like have a modern fairy tale about as a that could teach them kind of about good and evil and mystical things. And, and this particular thing is something that fans I'm 59. I've been watching star Wars since I was 13 teenager. And for me, just seeing this thing that lit up my imagination and always wondering like what happened after the clone wars before, you know, Luke grows up, there's this whole period where, Obi-Wan's in the desert. And what we find out about in this film is that he's actually quite dejected because the Jedi have fallen out of favor. They failed to stop the rise of the Empire. And Obi-Wan plays a really significant role in that because he trains Anakin Skywalker, who ultimately turns to the dark side and becomes Darth Vader. And so it's as if his training was like in like error. He trained the reason why it all fell apart and went to the dark side. Say that again, he what? He trained the person who was paramount and the force losing and going to the dark side. Well, the light side of the force losing and going to right. the dark side. Right, and it never loses. It's always a level of balance, you know, like light, dark, dominant. Oh, let's not get too philosophical with it. It lost. He's dejected, living in a dirt cave, playing with tinker toys and eating tater tots out of the microwave. Actually, sad one of the man. interesting things about Obi-Wan, the, the show, is that his job is he's carving up this beast for the meat and he he gets transported into like he's part of a labor force he's making just pennies right they have to clock Obi-Wan in clock, on yeah. yeah and like one that's of the his funniest job? things that's his job and one he of the works funniest, in a slaughterhouse it's not a slaughterhouse it's just this 
basically what looks like a land shark. I mean, literally, they're out in the desert, and there's this giant fish-like looking creature that's clearly what were those dead. were things in that giant tank-like thing, and they were scrap, you know, and they had the beady red eyes and those really long guns on Tatooine? Are you talking about Jawas, or are you talking about sand people, or the... Um... They 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 kidnapped um, C three PO and R two D two like yeah that's the Jawas metal. the Jawas Jawas J A W so are they also carving up this land shark with no everyone? it's it's an enterprise this guy own it's like he's it's a found thing and he's got his team carving it up because the food is being sold in town right but it's massive the thing's as big as a couple of houses oh, a town on Tatooine yeah. Well, do you ever see it? Yeah, we see it. He Obi Wan goes in, into in, most no, but in I the think first hope, like where the very first. We don't stone. see this one in in New Hope, but we see there's Mos Eisley, which is where Obi Wan takes grown up Luke, right? But there's also several other cities and towns in the area. Mos Espa is the one that we. Are so when they were in that cantina bar, was that on Tatooine? Yes, sir. Oh, I always thought they went to a different planet to hire Han Solo and No, they hired him to get off the planet because the oh. the stormtroopers were looking for the droids. But anyway, back to Obi-Wan Kenobi, the series. He's cutting up this fish and it the opening sequence you're flying it's like an overshot, like a a, a drone shot, and there's this giant like fish as if it's a swimming through the sand, which is kind of weird. And then it's, it's kind of like sand. a sandworm from Dune. Right, but it looks like kind of like a combination between a manta ray and a, um, a shark, uh, and it's it's on its side. It's turned sideways, and they're like basically carving up all of the muscle tissue and packaging it and putting it on tr- on a transport to go into town. And one of the things they packaging chip, it in plastic. Uh, they put it in these like generic Star Wars box container things and it's out in the middle of the desert there's no refrigeration so i'm like man that must be some stinky ass land shark yeah like that's what i'm wondering you know what the hell yeah so anyway um that was like the opening of it and there's all this stuff that happens in it that's really amazing and in the episode the third episode in the series which dropped on wednesday last week we see darth vader and obi-wan meet again and really? Yeah, really. On tattooing? No, they're on another planet. There's a whole thing where Ga- Bail Organa calls up Obi Wan because Wait, little Leia has run away. Bail Organa. Who's Bail Organa? Yeah. Man, you didn't do the research. I didn't fucking do any research. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's a really exciting show. I'm loving it because wait, so of, they meet up. So be, wait, no, you're Bail not Leia, baby Leia, or young Leia. She's probably mm-hmm. nine or ten in this instance. Okay. She has. She lives on this beautiful forest planet. It's basically like if you were on a planet that looked like Tahoe, and the she's used to. She's a rich girl. She lives as a princess. Her her dad Bail is like a a senator and. So she's used to kind of running away. Ha ha, mom and dad, I can like get away out to the forest because she doesn't like all of the attendants. She has people dressing her and she has school and blah, blah, blah. So she runs out into the forest and it turns out that there's these guys called inquisitors 
that are hunting down the remnants of the Jedi. And they know that Obi-Wan is still out there somewhere, but they can never find him. They're having a hell of a time finding him. They don't know where he is. And so they decide, well, if we kidnap um, Leia, Leia, Bail Organa, who is a friend of Obi-Wan, his daughter, they don't know who Leia is. They don't know that Leia is the daughter of Darth Vader. They don't know that. No one knows that but Obi-Wan and Bail. And so they they catch her. Darth knows he has a daughter. No, he doesn't know he has kids. Oh really? Yeah. So in not a Star very Wars, good dad. Revenge oh, of- bad joke just came to mind. <laughs> Say that again. Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't really address how he knocks up. How Jedi's not so. That's like the first thing he does that he's not supposed to do. Like uh, long ago, right? Just, he falls in love with Queen Amidala, and that's that just starts him down. Just the road. Politically incorrect character, right there. <laughs> Why? Because he runs off on his kids. Yeah, and he's black. He's the dark side. <laughs> Anakin is not black, though. Oh, yes, he is. I think you mean... Dude. Yeah, I knew this would happen. You're <laughs> deliberately just the the thorn in the whole storytelling thing to try and derail and, and make fun. I'm I just see how much fun out you're having. Facts. I'm just pointing out some well, facts. He's, yeah, he's burnt. He's literally yeah, to, to a crisp, crisp yeah. and he wears this dark suit. It's a black right. suit. But, but he wasn't that way when he conceived his children. And he's on the dark side. But he wasn't that way when he conceived his children. Oh, really? Yeah. He was angry from day one. Little angry hippie boy in his races. <laughs> All right. So. I thought you didn't know anything about the show. Maybe you should talk about Obi-Wan. I don't know anything about the show. <laughs> That's Do you going even back. care? Do you even want to watch it? Like, does it even matter? Well, to you? I don't have access to Disney Plus. Well, I can help you with that. All right. Shh. shh. We didn't say that. We're going to edit. No, that they out. have a thing where you can share it with your friends. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They know what's up. Like, they learned the Netflix rule. And so they built that in. Oh, Plus, it's right. only four bucks a month. Yeah, what I did have access to my daughter, but she like canceled it. I think it was anyway. So okay, She's so Obi Wan and Darth Vader meet. Well, the reason is that the Inquisitors kidnap Leia, and then uh, Obi Wan's friend says, "I need help finding Leia." Right. Well, it turns out that Obi Wan is kind of like he's tired and dejected and depressed, and he's not the Jedi he once was. Right. So he goes and he digs he up his old lightsaber. into his mind. Say that again. He needs some light to shine into his mind. He does. He really does. Yeah. And so he's out there trying to rescue um, Leia. And they end up, he has to follow her to this planet. And then they have to get off the planet before the Inquisitors find them. And so they end up, the only way off is this robot freighter. And so they they manage to get on the robot freighter and get out of Dodge before the Inquisitors find them. But they they figure it out. And so they follow him to this mining planet, which is like, you know, it's basically like the high desert. It's like lots of desert plants and very little because it, it's strip mined. And so it's this bleak planet where the Empire is just raping. Like a meteor or more than a planet. Probably. No, it's a planet, but it's been... It's been decimated by the empire, which really just consuming the resources and sucked out of it. Yeah. It's bone dry, as they say. 
They being the Inquisitors. They figure it out and they tell Vader where they think he's gone. And so Vader takes the Inquisitors and they meet Obi-Wan. And, and he's trying to save Leia. So he sends Leia one way to get off planet to through the, the Underground Railroad. Of course, there's a Jedi Underground Railroad. And Harriet Tubman's taking her. Yeah. And one of the things that's interesting about this story is that um, it's directed by a woman. Um, what's her name? Let me let me really quickly look up the director's name. Sandy. That's why there's a lot of desert scenes. Deborah Chow is her name. And Deborah um, Chow. Yeah, Deborah Chow, and she and the writers, instead of it being very male centric, like focused on Darth Vader and focused on Obi Wan and Anakin, even or, though it's called Obi Wan, <laughs> right? It is really focused on him ultimately, but so <laughs> the way the storytelling feels is way more uh, as if a woman's touch is handled on it, and Leia turns out to be the woman's smart one. Touching Obi Wan. What happens is Obi-Wan's kind of trying to rescue Leia, but he's not doing a very good job of it. And she's the one who's kind of like making all the smart moves and helping him. And at one point he, he's in and front she's of she's 10 years old? Yeah. Yeah. Damn. And what's funny is when you look at the original Star Wars, that's what happens. They go to rescue her at the Death Star and they, and they, they get her and they're like in a shootout with the stormtroopers just outside her shell, cell. And she's like, this is some rescue. And yeah. they don't know what their plan is. They're just kind of right. faking they it. They jump into goes, the garbage chute. Right. And she says, into the chute, fly boy. So she's like, this is her, right? So it's really great to see this all take place. And um, there was some controversy. But Obi-Wan it. was her only hope. Well, that's late. He, Yeah, he is her only hope in this one. Except she oh, turned really? out. in this one too? Yeah. Yeah, because... He, she's about to get like, you axed. know, axed, right? Kidnapped. They take, they kidnap her, and and so one of the inquisitors is played by a woman named Moses Ingram, and she's an African American, a black woman, and she's basically a Jedi gone bad. The inquisitors are force wielding, and they're kind of turning to the dark side. And she's really got a nose for Obi Wan and. She's featured prominently in the story as part of how the story turns. So there's a Pinocchio offshoot to the story? Pinocchio? Where did you get that? She has a nose for Obi-Wan? Right. She she can sense him better than most. And when he lies, her nose gets bigger and bigger. No, 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 that doesn't happen. But one of the things that happened after the first two episodes dropped was that uh, there was a, a kind of weird racist backlash. And a lot of people were in her DMs and on her Instagram kind of giving her crap. And it turns out that this isn't the first time. Um, In 2018, a woman named Kelly Marie Tran was cast as the first Asian-American woman. And then this guy, John Boyega, played a black stormtrooper. And both of them got a lot of crap from certain aspects of... For being, like, on the dark side? No. Jesus Christ. Nothing better to do with their life? Right. They're actually, it wasn't about being on the dark side. It was just about being Asian or being black. And so it was they really, were giving her crap about how come you hired a black person on our Star Wars show? Right. So that, Star Wars a, fans are fucking KKK people? Well, a bunch of them were. And so there was this huge God pushback sick. by okay. those of us who are not. And one of the things that, that was said was what came from Ewan McGregor. And I want to play that for you right now. 
right. I don't know if we'll Star be able to hear it. Made, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the most watched Disney Plus original series premiere of all time. And for that, I would say a big thank you. And uh, it just goes to show what this family can do when we all pull together. However, um, it seems that some of the fan base from this influential fan base have decided to attack Moses Ingram online and send her the most horrendous racist DMs. And I heard some of them this morning and it just broke my heart. Moses is a brilliant actor. She's a brilliant woman. And she's absolutely amazing in this series. She brings so much to the series. She brings so much to the franchise. And it just sickened me to my stomach to hear that this had been happening. I just want to say, as the leading actor in the series, as the executive producer in the series, that we stand with Moses. We love Moses. And if you're sending her bullying messages, you're no Star Wars fan in my mind. There's no place for racism in this world. And... Uh, I totally stand with Moses. Well, apparently there is a place for racism in this world, and it's pocketed in the deep south of the United States of America and on Capitol Hill. Ooh. Man, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, it's interesting how such a phenomenon becomes surrounded by the zeitgeist of the era, the, the social challenges that we're all sort right, of facing. Right. Racism creeps into Star Wars too. And having watched the show and being really amazed by the work of this Asian woman director and the writers and these actors and actresses, I just see it as a giant triumph. Everyone, like he said, it was the most watched Disney plus series ever. ever. Wow, that's awesome. And it's really thrilling to see Obi-Wan and Darth Vader meet again. Right. Yeah, that's I keep thinking of the scene in Heat, you know, with um Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, where Al Pacino's a cop and Robert De Niro's uh robber gangster dude. Have you seen that movie, Heat? Val Kilmer's in it. It's been a long time. I've I have seen it, but okay, I don't Okay, so there's that famous details. scene in the diner where Al Pacino and Robert De Niro finally Where, meet. Is Al Pacino eating spaghetti? No. Well, not that I remember. I just remember it was the fucking best scene like a meatball in the whole sandwich? movie. Is he having a, a meatball meat- sandwich? Is he like? Is there get? Is he getting like? Um, no, but he's doing off. fucking piles of blow. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> But that's like Obi-Wan and Darth meeting in this just reminds me like it's such a pinnacle meeting, you know, like, God, I just want to watch it just for that scene. Like that has so much fucking potential in my mind. Yeah. And it gets even better from that point. Like there's, there's a whole thing and it's, it's a six part series and that was episode three. So there's three more halfway through. And this was episode was a huge cliffhanger. Wow. Because Leah gets separated from the people that are helping her and the Inquisitors are about to catch her again after Obi-Wan has rescued her. her trail. And that's when it stops. Obi-Wan's trying to survive his battle with Vader. And- Ooh, so they're battling. Yep. Yep. Spoiler alert. Falling Spoiler back alert. into the clutches of the Inquisitors. <laughs> wow. Yeah. God. It's just interesting. I'm- thinking about racism and like so they're just cracking on her because she's black like that's it they're not 
it's not about her performance or the well, it is. They start the with that, but then they use that as a launching pad for that's their excuse to start as if as if she can't act or she's not good or but she's God great. Bless it. Right? It's the powerful oh wimp. There's a real feminine presence in this storytelling. The the central characters and the heroines are women. Right. And I think that's triggering the the fanboys who, you know, they want their battles to be dudes against dudes and not necessarily involve strong female characters, especially black or Asian female characters. I hope a fucking woman <clears throat> kicks their damn ass. Well, they got told they got their ass handed to them on social media this week. Yeah, I don't know if there's ever any learning in that is the thing. I mean, one hopes that ultimately we're learning to live together. Agreed. And one of the great things about Star Wars is that it's a chance for fables to teach people about right and wrong and good and evil. And here it is. It's doing it again, even though in a way it didn't really intend to. Yeah. Well, better that we, you know, these people come out from hiding and we're aware like, oh, we have a ways to go. Dr. Martin Luther might have been to the mountaintop, but the rest of us are still huddled here in the valley. <laughs> Trying I've to stay warm by a fire. A, I've ridden to the mountaintop on a moped. I ran down a mountaintop once on mushrooms. Yeah. That's yeah. a fabled story that keeps coming up. And it was, I was, I had a lot of fun doing it. It might be that there's mushrooms growing inside your brain in that spot. And that's why it keeps coming up. No, it's because my friend Larry, who was a fucking runner, he was like breaking records in high school and he was a beast. And he keeps talking about how he was fighting to keep up with me as we were running down the face of Mount Tam on a full moon night. You had superhuman mushroom powers? Oh, yes, I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was fearless, man. I was just running down, you know, that fire road that just, just straight down from the very top. I was running as fast as I could down that and having the time of my life. It was so fun. Yeah, fearlessness is the, the place where superhumanness lives. Yes, it's a good lesson. Like I've been pondering that because part of what you wanted to talk about was the force. And this week I've been pondering the force, my own inner energy and the desire to be grounded so that I'm making headway on dreams and goals along with the passion and fire to fuel the energy to make headway. And looking at how it just seems very sporadic and uh, kind of like Obi-Wan in a fucking sand cave, eating gruel and lamenting the days well, of Sometimes night. life is not easy, but it's, it's more than just the achievements that are important to our karma. It's the process. It's, it's the struggle that we have to go through and what we learn from doing that. And so as you go into this, where you're, you're honing your skills, you're honing your focus, you're taking your willpower and applying it in a cogent way to disciplines and steadfastness and consistency. That's the key ingredient, but it's not 
all there is. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Well, and there is the mindset piece. I was just listening to the podcast with the three guys from It's Always Sunny. They have a podcast that's out. It's brilliant. And they were talking about the mindset. And Dennis was sharing as how he had this real back pain. It was really fucking with him and interfering with his life. And he decided every morning he would wake up and say to himself, I'm healthy. My back is strong. I'm doing well. And he said, like, over the course of time, I forget the time period, but like he was feeling better. He was feeling stronger. And he absolutely believes from this experience that our mindset is so tantamount to our reality, which we all know. But then there's that element of, like you're saying, of karma of like, can we effort ourselves through our karmic challenges, compressing the timeline needed to heal that karma? Or do we need to just travel at the rate given to us? Like how much of our choice is involved in karmic healing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's a really wonderful thing to ponder. The things that come up for me are that sometimes the achievement we think we want isn't actually the thing that leads us to the healing. And so that's why it feels like we're being stymied or we're not actually fulfilling our true potential. But it's the block that shows up that we have to confront. And by confront, I mean confronting that aspect in ourselves, which is out of alignment with what it takes to move through that thing easily and and fearlessly. And then that becomes the next layer of growth. And it's not necessarily... the achievement that matters so much as the path to the achievement. And once you master that, once you understand how to go about achieving or being on the path, then you can apply that to good works. And by good works, I mean things that are in alignment with your, your values and your moral structure and the way you want to show up in the world and what, you know, what your purpose and mission is in service to the. Right, right, right. That kind of reminds me of like in Western medicine, if you have a broken bone, ultimately it's the healing of that broken bone that's celebrated. A part of that is someone of knowledge and experience doing some necessary like casting or whatever's involved with mending that broken bone so that you're able to run and jump and stand still. You ever heard that folk album? Running, jumping, standing still. No. My mom had that album. It was fucking some unknown sort of country rock folk. And running, jumping, standing. It was a good song. The rest of the album sucked, but that song was good. So the processes of healing a bone and healing tissue damage and healing our sicknesses, those things are really intriguing. And especially when you contemplate the idea of the force. Yeah, like Dennis was talking about his back pain. Yeah, there's a mystery there. Right. And I've been tripping a lot on um, on feeling my energy and noticing if the energy is uplifting, buoyant, joyful, or downcast, dragging down, and how a change of thought changes the energy in my body. And part of my looking at that 
is a questioning, well, is that imagined or is that real? Um, yeah, there's some real stuff in the esoteric teachings that I'm in, in the initiate's path, which is the, the thing I'm in with bridge. And right. when you read this thing called the Kabbalion, one of the things it talks about is the universe is mental. And it talks about when you like act it's just crazy, like the English. No, mental. It's, it's, the universe it is mental, Mike. <laughs> it, it, it's mental, right? No, it's um, it's that we are everything, the all, the fabric of our existence, the the, men, the spiritual, physical, and mental plane are all a thought in the, the grand design. The all is mental, and thought. that's the, what does thought stand for. T H O T. No, you're talking about something else and you're derailing my point. Hang on. So if we are the microcosm, if we're created in the image of God or we are the as below, so above part of that equation, Mm -hmm. then the path to transmutation, the idea of changing the circumstances, changing the vibe, changing the mood, changing the outcome starts with the alignment of our thoughts, the mental activity. And so we can train our mental activity to support the outcomes we want. And it's through through mentalism and emotionalism by attunement to those and and integrating all of it, that then you change the potential. But the potential is only the first part. Then you have to take action along those lines. Right. And so you're right. You can shift immediately if the polarity of your mood, right? Because it's, you can use your mental activity to change that, to change your mood. And that's why we love comedians so much is because they bring us to these places we couldn't take ourselves in the moment. Yeah. um, Tim Dillon is a comedian that I like. He's, is audacious the right word? What's audacious mean? That works for me. The way I see audacious is um, bold and effervescent and um, exuberant and uh, and a bit cutting edge, like courageous and challenging and challenging. Yeah. Yeah, So he, yeah, that's him. And so he has a comedy podcast. It's a weekly podcast, and they were recording right after the shooting in the elementary school in Texas, and they're joking about it but part of what he was acknowledging is like well this is fucking hard you know because it's not funny there's the reality but this is a comedy show and and i was appreciating the jokes that they were doing you know about how you need a teacher armed at the blackboard and another armed on you know guns <laughs> guns unleashed ready to go and and they're painting which is a very silly image of an elementary school if one didn't consider the reality that had just happened. And and he was able to acknowledge that reality and still do a comedy show because his show is based around current events. And comedy is mental alchemy. It's the transmutation of that lower energy into something uh, that's got levity to it, that's got vibrance and, and, and to it, right? And the um, the ability to do that is 
is amazing. And I think we all have it, but we, we lose touch with it and we forget or, or, you know, and cancel culture doesn't help because we're not allowed to make stupid statements, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's it, Mark. You've offended me with that comment. Um, good. You know, one of the best bits that I love that just keeps coming up for me is Robin Williams bit about the invention of golf. Yeah, I can't heard? remember it, but I remember that there is one. Like, yeah, and he's because he's talking about his trip to Scotland yeah, and yeah. how he couldn't understand people, and then they get fucking drunk and just the boisterousness and the drunkenness. He's of course the Scottish people invented this game, and he went into this bit of this guy explaining this game, you know, and and it's so funny. Like you have this crooked stick and. You gotta hit it. Oh, let's call it a stroke because you practically have one. Because you know, we'll put like sand in the way and water and all the shit. He's like, oh, and then you get it into this tiny little hole. He's like, and then whoever gets it in first wins. No, you do it eighteen fucking times. (laughs) It's brilliant. Part of what I love about it is. There is no one really being debased in the joke. You know, everyone, it's an up, the Scottish gentleman is honored in this joke. It's, and it's funny. It is funny. Well, that's why there's a relationship between intelligence and humor, because in order to walk that line, you have to be really smart to do it. Most great comedians are really intelligent, a few exceptions. I don't think there are any exceptions. If you're saying great comedian, you're inferring there's some intelligence involved. Now, you may not like their comedy, but they're still intelligent. You know, you and I were talking about how Kat's um, last... uh, Yeah, at the production meeting with Art, we were talking about how Cat Williams' last production was kind of... We didn't didn't get it. We both watched it. And we're like, I'm not laughing. Like, I don't get it. Right. Yeah, but he's still a very intelligent man, and and I really did appreciate his uh, science and God element, you know, and the thing about water. <laughs> yeah, well, that's brilliant because it's really true. We know what water's made of, but we can't make it. Yeah, we can, but what we're really doing is just distilling it with electricity. We, you know, it's like right, it, right. it, it yeah. And the way that water contains electricity. Well, right? we can't, we can't, no, we're not distilling. Like you can't take, let's see, it's H2O. So two hydrogen, hydrogen molecules, one oxygen. one oxygen. We can't combine those and create water. We can take vapor. We can take water already created and change the forms it's in. We cannot create water out of raw molecules. Right. And part of what I've heard is the challenge is the explosive force involved in doing it, we aren't able to manage. Well, the force, there you go. Like, how does this happen? How does water get created in the world? It takes a whole bunch of different conditions. It's akin to magic, which is really science that we don't know yet. We don't understand yet. That's what magic is, is science we don't understand yet in the way I look at science and magic. And that's why I'm so in love with life, because I see the world as this infinite potential for discovery. And the more we, the deeper we look at the way it's already put together, right, the more there is for us to 
to glean and to, to be blessed by and to, to have gratitude for because it's this freaking miracle. Like the more we search the cosmos, the more we realize how unique this place is. And oh yeah, there's supposedly 9,000 potential planets that are Earth-like. But so far, that's a pretty good statement and I haven't seen any really good photos yet that would back it up. Like where's the trees and water? Show me that, right? Like right. otherwise it's just like a hypothetical. Well, it the conditions are right in this many places. That's what well, it's saying. Then- Right, and the conditions are right in my pants, but that doesn't mean I'm getting laid. <laughs> Talk about derailing. <laughs> I can do funny too. You know, and part of what I've heard people talk about is that we are so stuck on a carbon-based life form that there actually is life that is on other planets and we are unable to recognize it because we're so narrow focused in what we understand life to be. You know, yeah, even we're, uh, we're viewing it through the material plane, through the lens of incarnation. And right. The most on this the, planet, particular to this planet. Right. And the multidimensional aspect of energetic existence, life is such a confining word in and of itself, right? Carbon-based life. But I think beyond that, there there may be things that that are other dimensional forms of life that don't fit the paradigm that don't that aren't constructed of right. carbon. I've heard and, there are from some people I trust. I don't you people know, that take mushrooms, are, but I'm saying I people, trust them, and they say they people, are. Well, and people that take mushrooms have reported back that you know, and and people who are considered clairvoyant. All right, um, you up for an Obi-Wan joke? Test? No, quiz. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can test you. Okay. All right. Where is Obi-Wan? This is ridiculous because we know he's on. Oh, okay. Wait a second. Um, All right. So after the fall of the Republic and the near extinction of Jedi. Um, wait a second. Okay, where is Obi-Wan's house? And we know it's on Tatooine, but I need it more specific. Oh, it's in the Dune Sea. Wait a second. So here, this is saying Stujon. All right, Stu- well, I didn't know that one. The hell is that? What he called his house? Like he named it? Stu well, the Jordan? one that they show in the series isn't the one we see when he's helping Luke. This one shows a spear, and there's a red car, boat, air thing. <laughs> Not a boat. Anyway, fuck that. All you right. mean a, a land a, a land cruiser? Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, Stu John is the home of Obi Wan. That's his town. All right. So let's see this. Ten of Obi-Wan's greatest moments so far. Okay. That's there we a go. List, but that's okay. um so there was a showdown that was Master Ki Gon Jin. Qui Gon Jin. And Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi yes. against Darth Maul. 
Right. Where did this showdown take place? It took place on Naboo in the power yeah. generator. Yep, that's right. Oh, look at that. Okay. Um, there's another duel with Django Fett's Mandalorian armor. The full arsenal. Of, oh, so Django Fett and Obi-Wan are fighting. Um, what was the weather condition in during their rain. fight? It was rain. Damn, look at you, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, this is uh, unlikely alliance. So he comes to the cargo hold of Maul's ship, and he gets unexpected assistance from a former dark disciple. Who was the dark disciple? He comes to Maul's ship. Yeah, he's in the cargo hold. So he was captured by Malevent, Malevent Brothers. He comes to a he oh he comes to so he was unconscious and he came yeah. to this is from Clone Wars the animated series yeah um, yep. it is oh goodness I can picture the character but I can't picture the name what's the name well I'll give you is the character male or female male nope female okay so I'm and, totally wrong and what's the what's the answer. Asajj Ventress. Asajj Ventress. That's right. I should have known that one. She's one of the Night Sisters. All right. Here's the last one. So um, one of his famous quotes is, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. In what film or series was this stated in and why did he say it? It was on the death star in a new hope. Darth Vader. If you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you. Oh, wait, are you Googling? You mother. No, no, I'm not. I know this one. Wow. That was spot on. All right. Well, I think you are. You're I'm about average. I should have gotten the Asajj Ventress one. That's definitely. Well, I think you're better than above. I think you're better than average. No, maybe like no. It's so not for Star Wars fans, right? That's what I was about to say. We have the general populace, which I'm a part of. Like, yeah, I've seen Star Wars, but I'm you know. If I never well, there's seen this other anything. thing here, which is my professional expertise. Like, I should have known that stuff because I was immersed in it. What do you mean you were immersed in it? Hey, it did you have to? Did you have to study to be Ichitan Mikoda? Did they give you a test if you wanted to really be in the background? What What they gave me was I had to pass an audition. Really? Yeah, I had to go and show them my my Jedi saber skills wow. and have them go. Okay, that'll work. Wow! And then once I passed the audition, I had to train for six weeks with my kata before shooting so that I could perform it consistently. And, wow. and it turned out that was really important because when they got me on set, I had to do my kata 24 times. It was three different lighting setups at eight points of the compass. 
And I had to do it over and over again each time so that they could put me anywhere in the space that they needed me with the lighting. Right. So the right. lighting would matter. You know how many times they used your micata in the scenes? I'm in the scene for 1.5 seconds or 36 frames. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Like you're not in several places? Nope. Just one place. Hmm. One part in the film. And a bunch of the people that were with me on that shoot didn't make the cut. Like it was about 50-50. So they're on the floor with um, Kevin Costner with his film debut for um, what was that one where he was the suicide guy and all the college friends get together. We talked about it before. I don't remember that Star Wars episode. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I never heard about Kevin Costner ending up on the cutting room floor of Star Wars. Yeah. And he's like gathered this, rebel army and they're invading Canada because he wants to stop the Canadian actors coming down to the United States and taking over roles. Actually, I think you're mis, um, uh, miscommunicating that. I think you're referring to the battle of Stony Creek. Oh yeah. The famous battle of Stony Creek that it was on the border of Canada and the United States. What, how stupid do you have to be to invade Canada? <laughs> well, they were actually thinking they were going to be able to take over by capturing Toronto take over Canada. Yeah. Because in those days, if you captured the capital, you win, you you effectively were. What? It's like the king in chess. You could have all the pieces on the board, but you got the king. Okay. You win. Here you go. Here's our whole country. (laughs) Yeah. Actually it was the capital of York, not uh, what what is now called Toronto. That mindset still seems to be prepped precedent today because wasn't vladimir like or whatever his name is putin poopin wasn't he like going for the capital of ukraine and he felt like if he caught that he wins i don't think it's analogous because i don't think you uh kiev is really the place where the strategic resources are he actually going for it well he was but to actually get the access to the Black Sea lockdown and then the access to the minerals and um, agricultural pieces are in southern uh, Ukraine. They're not in northern Ukraine where Kiev is. But he was putting a lot of energy into capturing Kiev. Well, and he will. He's not done yet. I don't know. I just heard something in the past 72 hours where I seemed like things are... The energy from Russia seems to be dying off from what I heard. What's happening is the media isn't talking about Ukraine anymore because there's school shootings and they're, you know, it's, it's, it's not driving eyeballs the way it was eight weeks ago when it started. And it's not that it's any different. In fact, the Ukrainians are, are losing a lot of ground still. And, mm-hmm. you know, the United States is starting to look like, you know, we're doing more and more to help them. And that could get dicey. Um, my prediction was that Vladimir Putin would have captured Kiev by July 4th and it'd be over. I hope I'm wrong. But it, it, I don't expect the Ukraine to actually be able to survive this. And you don't win wars instantly. It's not like a football game where you get three hours and four quarters and then you go home and it's done. It takes months to capture territory. And 
What if there were referees in war? There are. <laughs> you have to draw your tanks. That was a foul, foul play. Well, there <laughs> was just the a war crimes line. trial. There was just a war crimes trial of, about um, some war crimes that were committed in Ukraine, and they convicted him. Yeah. So that, and there are what was the result of that? Nothing. Well, the no, the soldier was sentenced to life imprisonment. Oh, the one soldier. That's like in uh, the the big short where, you know, at the very end, you've just watched all this chaos and madness and people fucking lying about things. And he goes, and they all went to jail. Nope, actually they did. This one guy did. That's right. That's right. But the rest just got bonuses and went on to do it again. Yep. America. And they're still out there running companies. America. Ka, ka, ka. Yes. God shed his grace on me. I think it's important since we're on the subject of war that we acknowledge the deeds of the allied forces That's at Normandy. Right. Today's the anniversary of D-Day. I'm not it's sure which. Day. Is yeah. it, I'm not sure which anniversary it is. It's probably like the 81st or something like that. Yeah, but here's what's interesting. We've talked about this before. I always thought like the the stories I heard growing up about D-Day was this was the United States and England, and England, in essence, ending World War II. But that's not true. Really, Russia was the one who ended World War II and defeated the Nazis. Yes, and it was important that the the D Day happened because it divided the Nazis' ability to to divert resources to the Russian front. So it wasn't instrumental, right? It was the Russians that actually you know, defeated the Nazis, but because they had to maintain the front at Normandy, it drained resources. So it was a combined effort. Have you ever seen um, that TikTok with all those turtles in this like pond and this one turtle is on his back and he's kicking and squirming. And they all swarm in back over. That's awesome. It is awesome. We can work together. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Let's all work together to make this podcast even more fun. Yeah. And happy so Greg, birthday. Do we have a guest next week? We do. We have a guest. Her name's Anne. She's going to be talking about um, her skeletal changes that she was able to do and how it upheld her health. And I'm probably just butchering to heck the, you know, that's some research. We'll have to bring that up in our production meeting Monday. I wonder if we should invite her to the production meeting. We'll have to talk to Art, see what our producer says. Yeah, have Art give her a call. I heard she was a cranial sacral therapist. Oh, I didn't know that she was a therapist. I know she had personal experience that was even measured, where one thing I read on her website was she experienced uh, height, growth of her height changed. for the, You know, like she grew taller from these things she did to with her skin cranial skeletal is that a system is the skeleton considered a system well sure what is scientists mark that doesn't sound very <laughs> grounded in science well sure why not let's call it a system let's call it henry well, what do you call an orthopedist doctor yeah they're a bone doctor <laughs> All right, so I'll see you next week.
And I just want to give a shout out here. Happy birthday, Johnny. Johnny who? Recording stopped.